Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Short Sleeve Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Kat Shortsleeve. Each week, I'll tell you my favorite stories from my 15 years of backpacking and globetrotting around the world to 40 countries. If there's somewhere in the world you want to go, nine and a half times out of 10, I've been there, I've got the inside scoop for you, and more likely than not, some ridiculous travel story to go along with it. So buckle up, it's going to be a wild ride. This week, I actually am telling a pretty scary story. So at the time when this was all happening, I really couldn't tell anyone what I was going through and what I was experiencing. I especially could not have told my parents because they would have killed me. My parents always get nervous when I'm traveling, but this was a little bit of an extenuating circumstance. My dad always gets nervous when I go traveling by myself. For example, when I traveled to Colorado, he would warn me about the jaguars that I might find there. And when I was traveling to the Amazon by myself, he warned me not to swim in the river because of the piranhas and the snakes. And while I do listen to him occasionally, I have been known and I have a very bad history of not listening at all. When I got that text from my dad saying, don't go swimming in the river, I actually hadn't gone swimming in the Amazon River at that point in time when he sent me the text, but I knew that I was going to. My guide told me there were a few places that were very safe to swim in, and so of course I had to. The first trip that I ever went on alone was to Fiji, and my parents to this day are still so upset about what I did there because they had two rules for me on that trip. No skydiving, and no scuba diving. And of course, I had to go scuba diving with whales, which was horrifying to them. Okay, back to the Amazon though. So this pretty scary story I'm about to tell you is about hitchhiking. And I actually have hitchhiked a few times, but this one in particular was a bit intense because I was hitchhiking with three random men, complete strangers, over the Andes mountain range. The journey took eight hours. Now, before I dive in and start talking all about this experience, I want to set the scene for you and let you know a little bit about where I was. So let's describe the Amazon rainforest. The Amazon rainforest spans nine countries, and it's the largest tropical rainforest in the world. Most people actually think that the Amazon is only in Brazil because the largest portion of the Amazon is in Brazil, but I actually went to the Ecuadorian Amazon. The Amazon is most famously called the lungs of the earth because the trees provide so much of our oxygen and remove so much of our CO2. Now, the animals that you can find in the Amazon are incredible. So the most common animals that you'll find are the tree frogs, which are so cute, most of them, but some of them extremely deadly. There are many different types of monkeys, and when I was there, I probably saw six different types of monkeys. There are a few that are really common. For example, the red howlers, you'll see those all the time. But monkeys are constantly moving in the treetops, and when we would be walking through the rainforest, we could hear the monkeys and even see them swinging from branch to branch. It's also really common to see macaws. Macaws are the massive, beautiful birds. I think from tip to tip of their wings, I would estimate maybe about three feet, and they are the most gorgeous deep reds and blues and yellows. It's extremely common to see tarantulas as well, which I saw many of, bats, and iguanas. Now, the most deadly animals in the Amazon that you can find are jaguars, which is wild to think that jaguars are just wild animals roaming through the Amazon. And when we were walking through there on foot in the early mornings or late at night, it would have been possible for us to see a jaguar. We, unfortunately, and honestly, in my opinion, maybe fortunately, did not come across a jaguar, but that would be pretty amazing to see. They also have black panthers there too. Some of the other most deadly animals in the Amazon are piranhas, anacondas, 
poison dart frogs, and the Brazilian wandering spider, which is the most venomous spider in the entire world. I'm scared of daddy long legs that just live in my West Village apartment or a simple cockroach, but I can't imagine coming in contact with the most venomous spider. They also have electric eels, and there's this one fishing spider, and it is huge. It's about the size of maybe my hand or a large man's hand, and this spider jumps across the top of the water, and it has a single fang tooth that sticks out of the front of this spider, and it can go fishing. And what this spider eats is predominantly fish. It's a pescatarian. Now, I don't know where else in the world you can find something like that, but it seems pretty ridiculous that you just have those wandering around in the Amazon. The three most rare species that you would find in the Amazon are the harpy eagle, which I truthfully don't know much about, the pink river dolphin, which people love to see because it's one of the most rare animals in the entire world, and then also the giant otter. So picture cute little otters floating on their back holding hands with each other. Now there are giant, massive, massive otters which is pretty funny, and I did see a bunch of these. They just look extremely oversized. Aside from animals, there are so many other things that were trying to kill me the entire time that I was there. Some of the trees are even trying to kill you. The roots of the trees grow in such a way that they mean to trip people, and certain plants are also trying to kill you. They'll look enticing and have flowers that will draw you into them, but those are oftentimes the most deadly ones. There are such dangerous ants in the Amazon, and Sometimes it's not even a plant or an animal that's trying to kill you because there's also quicksand. And if you've never touched quicksand before, oh my goodness, it is crazy. It's almost like the earth is just trying to swallow you whole. Okay, I also find this absolutely fascinating. There are so many undiscovered species, mostly insects in the Amazon. It's estimated that there are between 5 million and 30 million different undiscovered species out there. We don't even know what could possibly exist. Okay, now that you have a bit of an overview, I kind of want to give you this sensory description. So maybe close your eyes and just begin to imagine this. When you enter the Amazon rainforest, for miles and miles ahead, up above, you see the emerald canopy housing colorful parrots, anything from toucans to macaws. You'll have monkeys swinging as you descend through the trees onto the ground. Hiding in the shadows, you can find jaguars prowling. Beneath the dense canopy, a complex network of rivers and tributaries meander through the heart of the lush rainforest. When you step into the Amazon, it almost feels like it's an entire beast or animal life force on its own. It's a bit hard to describe, but it's humbling when you walk into the forest and just realize that everything around you is so much bigger than you are and it's so much more powerful. Now, I will say it is a bit of a scary place with all of these unknowns around you and feeling out of your comfort zone. It can be pretty intense and it is so important to have a guide with you at all times who knows the rainforest forward and backward. This is probably one of those places where you wouldn't really want to take a huge risk and go wandering out on your own. Even the weather in the Amazon can change in just a second. Now, one of the most fascinating things that I found during my time in the Amazon is I started to learn about all of these uncontacted tribes that live full-time out there in the Amazon. Some of these tribes are just isolated, but others are completely uncontacted indigenous groups. They've had little to zero contact with the outside world. Now, one tribe in particular 
we know has never been contacted by the outside world. And anytime anyone has tried to contact them, the tribe has actually killed each person who's come in contact with them. My rainforest guide told me a really scary story that happened just a year ago to a priest and a nun. Now, I do want to warn everyone this is going to be extremely graphic, but I could not believe it when I heard this and I just wanted to tell other people. So, this priest and the nun traveled for a few days walking by foot to reach this indigenous group. They wanted to offer peace to them and possibly offer them food or medicine. And if not either of those two things, just to begin a relationship with them. This indigenous group wants absolutely nothing to do with the outside world. So when the priest and the nun happened upon the group, unfortunately, they were both hit immediately with dozens of spears, killing them both instantly. Now, if you think about it, this indigenous group, they have never heard about COVID. They don't know what the internet is. Actually, it's rumored and there is evidence to show that some of these indigenous people have adapted in such odd and interesting ways. And some of them are known to have six fingers and six toes on each hand or foot. Now moving on to the Napo Wildlife and Cultural Center. So how did I find it? Well, I was looking for something I could do on my own that would be an immersive experience in South America. I wanted some educational component as well as a cultural component and something that would keep me extremely active and off the grid. One of my good friends, Allie, has been to the Napa Wildlife and Cultural Center, and she told me this would be a great place for me to go. She went with her family back in the day, and they spent an entire week staying in one of the luxury villas. I, on the other hand, chose one of the more budget rooms because I was there on my own, and it had a private bathroom, which was perfect for me. Napa also has many amenities. There are two-bedroom, three-bedroom villas with jacuzzi tubs that overlook into the rainforest. They have a school on site for the local children, as well as a soccer field and a cultural center. There are a few different restaurants on property, as well as different pathways that lead you all over the resort. While it isn't the most luxury experience, it is an extremely fascinating place to be able to spend the week. I would not rate this as a five-star luxury experience, and it shouldn't be advertised as that. There isn't a spa or a place to get a massage. It just promotes raw beauty and people who want to be fully immersed in nature and in the rainforest should absolutely visit Napo. The way that you get to the Napo Wildlife and Cultural Center is a bit complex. First, you have to fly into the capital of Quito. This is the capital of Ecuador. From Quito, you take a small 30-minute flight into Coca on a tiny plane. Once in Coca, you board a bus that takes you down to the river port. Once you're at the river port, you'll be brought onto a motorized canoe that fits many people, and you'll embark on a two-hour journey down the river. After two hours, you reach another port where you get into an even smaller canoe, and everyone paddles for the next two hours up the stream to get to the Napo Wildlife Cultural Center. The reason why you have to paddle is because no motorboats are allowed in the Black River, and you have to travel along the Black River for two hours to get to Napo. Now, the Black River is the river that has the most dangerous and the most deadly animals. This is where you'll find the piranhas and the electric eels and the anacondas. Now, a 30-foot anaconda and the largest one known to be found in the Ecuadorian Amazon, and if you were 
for some reason to be as close to an anaconda that you could wrap your arms around it, your fingers would not be able to touch on the other side. Most commonly at Napo, you'll find groups of friends who are very interested in bird watching and learning about animals. Sometimes you'll find families, but mostly with older adults, because it isn't necessarily the most safe and easiest place to bring young children. You do also often find individuals traveling on their own. But most importantly, Napo is really for scientists and explorers that want to be fully immersed in nature and not have any veil between them and such an active, wild experience. There are other more luxury places along the Amazon River that you can stay with spas, Michelin star restaurants, and so forth. But what's really special about Napo is that it's actually all run by indigenous local women. Every meal that you have at Napo, you sit down with your guide leader and some of the women that actually run Napo, and they'll explain what their daily life is like and what the rituals are that they practice. One of the most fascinating rituals that I learned about from my guide is about how they teach young children to be strong warriors that are not afraid to go into the jungle or into the rainforest and hunt. And while I might not approve of what these indigenous people are doing, it's not for me to approve or disapprove of how they choose to live their lives. Some people travel so that they can go and help people in other parts of the world. And while I do want to do that, I'm traveling right now so that I can learn about different parts of the world. And so it's not for me to judge if I like their ritual or their culture or not. It's just to take the information in and try to understand how they think this way and why they think this way. And so the story I'm about to tell, this would never be allowed in the U.S. It wouldn't be legal, but it's something that they actually really pride themselves on. And so these rituals are whenever extended family come to town, the mother and the father of the family will take their young children before they're 15 years old and routinely put chili peppers in their eyes and put tobacco in their noses. And this is meant to be excruciatingly painful, but it's meant to toughen them up so that if they come in contact with something that hurts them deeply when they're in the rainforest, they will be able to save themselves and fight through the pain. Explorers about 25 years ago went to the Amazon and they learned that the indigenous people were performing these rituals on their young children. And they actually went to the Ecuadorian government and they were able to outlaw and ban and criminalize these teachings. But after about 10 years, the indigenous people were able to go to the government and overrule this decision. They felt this was a very important part of their culture. And while it happened to them when they were young, they were grateful that they had that experience because it's made them so much more tough. They now celebrate this one day in July, and it's the day that they were able to overturn the ruling and continue to practice the chili pepper and the tobacco rituals. I find it fascinating that this ritual is so important to them that it was outlawed for a period of time, but then they were able to bring it back. I spoke with a few of the young children there about these rituals, and none of them seemed to think that it should stop. They look up to their grandparents and to their parents, and they look at their siblings and feel as though they are surrounded by a very tough group of people. And while the rituals have lessened in severity over the years, they still do remain. Okay, now let's get to the hitchhiking day. So the hitchhiking day 
began Saturday morning. My alarm went off at 4 a.m., and at 4.15, I was at breakfast with my guide. We wolfed down some eggs and toast and hopped in the canoe around 4.30 a.m. Hitch black, we canoed for two hours down the Black River. At 6.30, we reached the next canoe, which brought us all the way up to the port. From there, we got on the bus, which took us to the airport. A quick breeze through security, we were waiting for our flight on the other side. I think this might be one of the smallest airports in the world I have ever been to because there's only one terminal. As we were sitting there waiting, a few flights were taking off and our flight was getting ready to board. Of course, just in time, a hurricane decided to blow through and just like that, the weather had changed immediately. Torrential downpour and whipping winds, our flight was canceled. So I thought, okay, no problem. When's the next flight going out? But of course, it was not until the next day. Okay, no worries again. There aren't commercial flights happening, but along with me, when I was staying at Napo, I was grouped with three other people, and they happened to be scientists from Beijing. These scientists were there to find the most deadly new insect species. It was wild because they'd actually go and pick up these new species right in their hand, and they'd be holding whatever insect or snake or spider it might be. Even our guide was nervous when they'd go and grab these things just with their hands. But they were such experts, they knew how to do it perfectly. At night, we would go out for three hours, and the Beijing scientists, they would stay for six hours late into the night taking photos because that's when they could find the most deadly and most interesting species, in their opinion. But I thought three hours in the pitch black was plenty for me. Long story short, these scientists had some money, and so they chartered their own flight. They turned towards me as we'd become pretty good friends over this week, and they offered me a seat on their flight. Just as luck would have it, now we are going to be taking a private plane. This is so exciting. Quick 30-minute flight. But what we forgot is that there's a hurricane outside. And just because the commercial flight can't take off does not mean that the private flight could. So after a few more hours of waiting, the Beijing scientists decided, okay, there's no way we get out of here. They're going to go all the way back to Napo, spend a few more days in the Amazon because they can and they have the time to do so. No flights were going out of COCA that day. My connecting flight from Quito back to the U.S. was the next day, so I didn't have the option to stay longer in the Amazon. I had to get home. What did I do? I thought, okay, I'll take the first flight out tomorrow morning from COCA to Quito and grab my Quito flight back to the U.S. Just as luck would have it, I opened Booking.com and find out in COCA, because we are in the middle of nowhere, of course there isn't going to be a hotel or a restaurant, so I was stranded. There was legitimately nowhere to go. And that's where the short sleeve travel method comes in handy. So I thought, I don't know what will happen next, but let's go find out. I walk outside of the airport and I'm just looking around for anyone who looks remotely familiar. Of course, I'm not going to find a friend, but maybe someone who's from the US or someone who can relate with me. And so I walk outside and I find these two men dressed head to toe in Patagonia. They're very skinny and old, and they honestly just both look like my grandfather. So I went over and talked to them. They told me that their flight was canceled, and they had to be scrappy and creative, and so the two of them were going to rent a school bus and drive eight hours over the Andes mountain range to Quito. I thought this was my only shot out of here. Hitchhike with these two guys on a school bus or I don't know what the other option was, and I couldn't even come up with a good one. 
So I asked them if they had kids, if they had grandkids. For some reason, this would make me feel a bit better. And they offered me a seat on the bus. So I took it. 20 minutes into the drive, I lost service a bit. My service started to go in and out. One bar would pop up and go away. Quickly, I texted my two best friends, not my parents, not my siblings, my two best friends, and just sent them my location and said, hey, if you don't hear from me in about eight hours, I'm on a trip from Coca to Quito. The bus might break down. It doesn't have great wheels. Nothing to be concerned about, but if you don't mind just keeping an eye on my location. They were both so alarmed, to say the least, and I don't blame them. Now, this road from Coca to Quito is eight hours and it is one single road. There are no other options. It is winding. It goes up into the mountains, over the mountains, around. It is not a straight line from A to B. And of course, this road was built many, many years ago, and it's barely paved. There are massive boulders that have fallen from the top parts of the mountain range down into the middle of the street. And on a few different points, maybe about six times or so, We had to stop because it was single lane traffic. One car from each side would let each other go one by one. We didn't know if there was going to be a boulder in the road upon hour six that would make us have to turn around and go all the way back to Coca because if we couldn't pass, we could not pass. That was the only way. And we also didn't know about these boulders in the road. Had they just fallen 15 minutes before? Had they fallen 15 years before? We were all in the deep end. Now, what was absolutely fascinating was traveling through these small villages and seeing the local people. Of course, and to be expected, it's extremely poor. And you see many young children playing together with one toy, a large group of kids, and it might be a ball that they have, and they're all rolling it down a hill, following after it. And you'd see groups of women and groups of men huddled around together. And as we're driving through slowly, I would look out the window and wave to the kids and make eye contact with them. I wish other people could have this experience. What it feels like to make eye contact and wave to these young kids or to the women, it's a deep feeling and it's a deep memory. The eye contact, for some reason, it stays with you and you carry that person in such a soft, gentle way. Finally, and somehow, with definitely a lot of luck, I made it to Quito and they dropped me off at my hotel. The next morning at sunrise, I grabbed a taxi and made it safely to the airport and was waiting to board my flight. I texted my mom and dad and said, you're not going to believe what I did last night. I was about to board my flight and so I told them I would tell them the stories and FaceTime them as soon as I got back to the West Village. I think my parents thought to themselves, what do most 27-year-olds do on a Saturday night? Maybe get too drunk and lock themselves out of their apartment. So it couldn't have been that bad. Little do they know. At the end of the day, I'm not telling you to go hitchhiking. But what I would recommend is to get out of your comfort zone. Because every time I've done it, in the end, it is a good thing. My grandfather actually told me that I should hitchhike way back in the day when I was studying abroad. He had traveled all throughout Europe hitchhiking and he thought it was the best way to get around. When I had gotten home from my study abroad program in Prague and told him that I did not go hitchhiking, he was disappointed to say the least. He thought that I didn't have any good experiences and that I didn't rough it at all and so I couldn't have experienced or seen very much. And I now think that there's a little bit something to what he was telling me.
I did actually hitchhike this past weekend too, not to make a habit of it, but I was on an island called Shabig in Maine and I had a two hour walk back to get my bike. And instead I just stuck out my thumb and said, can I grab a ride? And this young guy came along, picked me up and turned my long walk into a quick four minute drive to my bike. And then my best friend, she did hitchhike in St. Bart's. There were some huge hills that we had to climb to get back to our hotel. And she stuck out her thumb and a guy came by on a Vespa. And so she just hopped on. No helmet or anything. My kind of girl. But that's a story for another time. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Short Sleeve Travel Podcast. See you next week. And don't forget, you can find me on Instagram under Cat Shortsleeve. You can find me on TikTok under Cat Shortsleeve. YouTube, Snapchat, Spotify, all the above. And you guessed it, Cat Shortsleeve. Adios.